Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. Okay, this week we have a special twofer for you. Two fantastic bass players from two fantastic 80s bands that both have new stuff coming out. We are talking first to Steve Smith, bass player of The Vapors, and then we're going to hear from Tony Marcico, bass player for The Cruzados. Let's start with The Vapors. So, as everyone knows, early 80s, they put out two albums. This song right here, Turning Japanese, still heard everywhere. Everybody knows this song. But that's really all most people know about The Vapors. And it's a shame because those two albums, Nuclear Days and Magnets, are fantastic. Well, after only a couple of years, they break up. They, they're done. And uh, that's it for decades until, I think it was two years ago, maybe, three, that they finally got back together and put out a third album called Together. And now, this weekend, a box set is coming out of their work from Cherry Red Records. It's got the first two uh, albums in, on CD, uh, and another disc of outtakes, a concert, all of that. So Steve Smith comes on here, and we talk about what that was like for him. All those years with nothing going on, well, he's still maintaining a career in music, but nothing going on as far as the vapors go. But then the last few years, joining up on like 80s concerts and playing that circuit and how he kept it going all this time. The Vapors are a fantastic band, and I hope you guys rediscover them through a lot of the songs in this episode and get that box set. It's reasonably priced. It's perfect, okay? So anyway, let's start from, with him, uh, and then I'll tell you more about Tony uh, in the middle, okay? All right, he called me from his home in outside of Brighton, England. Hi, Steve. Hi. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Thanks for doing this with me. And uh, yeah. I do long-form interviews with my favorite artists. And I've been trying to get the Vapors on here all along. All right. Nice. <laughs> and so we're finally doing this. I'm so grateful. Thanks for chatting right. with me. Hey, no problem, man. Good. Okay. So for starters, let me tell you. So as I said, I've been wanting to kind of get somebody from the Vapors on here for a while. Just to talk about your history and what a unique career you've had. So two years ago, I live in Denver, Colorado. Yeah. And the Lost 80s live tour comes through town. And I'm yeah. a sucker for those. And I've had <laughs> like half the people on that show on this podcast. And oh, I've been friendly, good. become friendly with some of them. And I see the Vapors are on there. And I'm thinking, now the Vapors haven't done anything in a long time. Yeah. Is this the Vapors that I know of? Or is this like one original member who's still calling himself the Vapors? Or what is this? And I went and it was you guys. Now, Unfortunately, you only got to play like three songs, but it was yeah, fantastic. It was one of the highlights of the whole day for me because I've been wanting to see you my whole life and here it finally happened. So I have a million questions about how you guys finally came back to be. But I mean, I guess let's start there. How did you finally come back together after 30 something years? Well, um, Dave was coming, I think it was 2016. Dave was coming up for retirement. He'd been a, a lawyer in the Musicians Union in London and he took early retirement and he decided to put feelers out and you know see who was up for it and see who was into it so me and Ed we went along and had a beer with Dave in London and um I have I to ask of, had you guys been staying in touch all along or was it first time you talked well, in a while uh 
I speak to Ed pretty regularly. I spoke to Ed a couple of weeks ago. I've, I've spoke. I've always kept in contact with Ed, but he's the only one really. Okay. I'd seen I'd seen Dave at Ed's fiftieth. Well, that was a while ago now. Um, but I hadn't really. And I message Howard every now and again, but yeah, I haven't really seen Dave for a long time. So it was kind of strange. I ummed and ahed about whether I should go. And so I decided to go and hear what Dave had to say. And I, I know it's kind of like what he had to say and how he wanted to structure it in the future. Um, which I, But Howard wasn't interested at all. But me and Ed said, OK, we'll, give, we'll, we'll, we'll do a few gigs and see how it goes, basically. And then um, we got offered a gig in Dublin. Uh, Whelan's, I believe, I think, yeah, upstairs at Whelan's in Dublin. And then we did three in the UK, which were Dingwalls in London, uh, the Slade Rooms in Wolverhampton, and I think it was the Arts Centre in Liverpool. Mm-hmm. And initially that was that was going to be it. Mm-hmm. But it was such a kind of emotional thing, <laughs> all these people coming along and just loving the music. And it was just like... It wasn't really like that when we were around back in the day. Yeah, there were a few people that were into it, but most people had heard Tone in Japanese came along and thought, oh, you yeah, know, they're a pretty good band. Mm-hmm. Um, but the people that were coming to the gigs, you, you know, they were, they were really heavily into everything yeah. that we'd done and yeah. real fans. And like Dave said at the time, he said, if I'd known all these people were out there that were really into it, I don't think I'd have called time on it in the first place. But there was no internet. There was no way of knowing that. There were these little pockets of people all over the world yeah. that really, really were, you know, it was really important music to them. I mean, I've met a lot of them at gigs and, you know, the importance of the music to some people is just, you know, it's incredible for me. Yeah. Yeah. That is, I love that you feel the love that we have for you and that that was co- sort of what led to the conversion of thinking maybe coming back was a good idea because as a fan of yours, we, we, hope and pray that you feel those things, you know, we want you to feel those things. So what were you doing? I know, you know, Dave was a lawyer. What were you doing, Steve, to kind of earn a living during all those, all those years off? Well, I spent, I spent a lot of time playing in various bands. Okay. Um, the band after the band that I was in after the Vapors, which is called Shoot Dispute, was a kind of, kind of bit of a funk band with a girl singer. Okay. We did a couple of sessions for John Peel. Okay. 
We did another couple of Radio One sessions as well. So we got quite close with that band. But then I, I kind of drifted into doing sound engineering. And when I started touring with various, I, I tended to work with um, sort of independent uh, rock bands, shall we say, but 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 indie label rock bands. I, I, I really started getting a lot of work in that field. Um, I played some guitar for a guy called Fad Gadget. Sure. Who, yeah. He was then called uh, Frank Tovey. Um, so I played guitar. I mixed two albums for Frank, actually. Oh, yeah. I mixed his, uh, I worked on his Grand Union album, played played some stuff on it, engineered it and mixed it. Nice. And I mixed his uh, Worried Men in Secondhand Suits album. I did a lot of work with Frank. Nice. Um, and I ended up playing guitar for him on a European tour, which was just a mad, mad experience. Because awesome. Frank was absolutely, you know, by day, rational human being by night complete lunatic it was um, it was a real eye-opener playing guitar for yeah. him but I, I did a, I did some touring with him as a live sound engineer as well so I spent about I spent 20 years being a live sound engineer and, and do studio stuff as well okay um and then I got to about 2009 and I've kind of I've kind of had enough of it I kind of I had young children and I thought I don't really want to go away all the time. So I decided I wanted to play music again. Um, decided, thought I have to do covers really. It's not really the right time to be coming back with original music. So I thought I want to do covers, but I only want to do covers that I like. Mm -hmm. I only want to do songs that I like. So I, I've ended up doing a sort of new wave punk covers band where we do things like Sex Pistols, The Clash, The really? Jam. The Ruts, uh, yeah, just all undertones, all music from the late yeah. 70s, 80s. Um, and we just, it's really reverent. You know, we, cop we copy everything completely. <laughs> it's, it's really reverent. And um, it's great fun. I never tire of it. And I'm still doing that. I still really? do that to day, yeah. Is that just I've, a touring outfit or are there albums? What are you, what's it even called? It's called the Shakespeareos. Oh, sure. Um, and it's, but it's just, it is a live music thing. We, we, we have done some, we have done some recording. There's some stuff on, there's some stuff on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's, there is some Shakespeare okay. stuff on YouTube. Fun. Um, and so, and, but, uh, and I've been doing that ever since because I just, it's just like playing all your favorite records. Yeah. It's just yeah. Greatest fun. And we've did, we've done a lot of stuff. We've been to Portugal five times. We've done the Rebellion Punk Festival. Uh, so I'd, I'd been, I'd carried on playing basically. Yeah. Okay. So you've maintained so it, a career I, in music this whole time. Yeah. Dave yeah. Was, it's, Dave stepped away. Yeah. Either as a sound engineer or a player. Yeah. I, I yeah. just, just kept going. Yeah. Um, I, I actually consider myself very lucky that I've managed to keep alive and, and keep working in the music Absolutely. business my, my whole life. It's yep. just, it's a hard, it's a tricky thing to do. Yeah. So then, you know, when Dave came along and said, uh, can't have a chat, I just thought, oh, well, it's more work. You know, it's just extra work. Yeah, just one more it's, thing. Yeah, um, one more thing to do. Yeah. Where are you so, now? Where do you live, by the way? Uh, I live just outside of Brighton, which is on the south coast of England. Okay. So now that, you know, lockdown is finally sort of starting to open back up again. In fact, I saw you guys have a show opening for the Skids 
in November. Yes. Our yes, guest on the podcast this week that just came out yesterday was Richard Jobson talking ah, about cool. the skids and their new album and everything, which is so good. So are you finding now that there's there's a real need, a vacuum that you can fill? There is interest in having the Vapors put on full shows, not just 80s shows with three songs, but full shows around the UK. Yeah, yeah, we, 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 we've been doing our own shows we, mainly, although we've, we have done a big tour with From the Jam recently, which has yeah. been great. Yeah. I mean, that's just the best fun. Yeah. Um, so, but I'm, I, I like doing either, really. I, the 80s thing, it is a bit short. It, yeah. Four songs. At, at first, um, when we first got offered it, I was just like, oh, I can't, I can't be bothered to do all that and run around and drive all that way and then just play for four songs. You know? mm-hmm. That's just... I, I'm just not really interested in it. But then I kind of thought about it for a bit and I thought, oh, no, but it'd be really good fun and we haven't been to America for so long. Yeah. And it, I just thought it would just be great. It would yeah. just be a laugh. Let's just do it and just have good fun. Yeah. Did it and work out? Were you happy with the result of that last I 80s loved, tour? I, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Yeah. We made so many friends. There's some great bands on there, the Motels, yep. the Escape Club. Yep. You know, these these are guys that, you know, these are people that I'll be friends with forever. We That's had great. such fun. We had that such is so fun. good to hear. Good. Yep. Like I said, I've had both those, uh, Martha and um, what's his name? Trevor from uh, Escape yeah. Club. Yeah, Arthur and Trevor. Yep. Fab, fab people. Absolutely yep. fab people. Yeah, great. and it was just a real privilege and and it was such a camaraderie yeah. with all the bands, Good. everybody, everybody. Because a lot of the time that was kind of forced on us because there was only, there'd be like uh, a dressing room for a flock of seagulls and then like a really big dressing room for everybody else. <laughs> so you were kind of, just everybody got to know each other really yeah. just by hanging out and you just go, oh, hang on a minute. I've just got to go and play my 20 minutes on stage. I'll be back. <laughs> I'll be back in 20 minutes. And off you'd toddle and do your thing. And, so, and sometimes people would come out and watch you while you were playing. Yeah. I mean, all the bands are very supportive of each other as yeah. well. Yeah. i got to be honest. I don't know how Mike Score of Flock of Seagulls has wrangled that into his contract. He gets to be the headliner every time. And it sounds like in his own dressing room and everything like that. Who knows? With so many great bands on that bill. But whatever. I'm glad you guys yeah, had fun. I was, I was kind of really pleased that we didn't have a wrench. It was so much yeah. more fun. It's so much yeah. more fun with everybody else. That's great. Is your, um, I mean, do you foresee the ability in the States anyway? Obviously, that's where I am. So that's where that's where my questions go. But do you foresee there being an opportunity for the Vapors to play, you know, their own shows or opening for, I, I don't know if you and the Skids would draw that much of a crowd over yeah. here, unfortunately, but maybe yeah. Big Country or maybe something else the alarm the alarm come through here a lot i see mike all the time oh we'd love to we'd yeah. absolutely come and play um we, we we did three shows at the mercury lounge in new york excellent in 2018 we did we put we started off we put two shows on and because they sold so well we did a third so that Good. that was i think november 2018 wow and we came over and you know that was the best fun as well that's great Good there was you. another. There was another thing where you know people would be just. I'd be going outside. While I was smoking at the time. I'd be going outside to have a smoke, and people would be coming, just telling me how much 
the albums meant to them when yes. they were a kid. No, it was just amazing. <laughs> Would you have ever guessed, Steve? I mean, you're no, uh, you're no, in I your seventies, I think, and here you no, are. Sixties, sixties. Okay, I wasn't sure. I was trying to do the math real quick in my head. Here you are in your sixties, a band that had one hit but two excellent albums forty years ago, and uh, and haven't done anything since. And now here you are on this victory lap, well deserved. That you, who knew if you would have ever guessed this could happen? No, no, no idea. Absolutely. I mean, it could, the, the the offer to do the Lost Eighties thing came completely out of the blue. Yeah. But the interesting thing about that is Rob, the guys that the guy Rob that runs the show. Uh huh. Um, when he was growing up, his parents were really, really heavily into the vapors, particularly his father. Really. And so. He just said, I just had to have you on, you know, because it, yeah. it meant so much. Your music meant so much to us, you know, me and yeah. my dad when I was growing up. And it reminds me of that time. And, you know, just through his own personal uh, thing for the band, that was what got us on the show. That's great. But it just went so, so well. I mean, we were supposed to do it last year. There was supposed to be a big tour. We were supposed to be doing it this year. Yeah. And, you know, Rob said, I want you to do it next year. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, if, if it everything goes okay and everything gets back to normal, I'm sure we'll, we'll be back doing that at least next year. But what might be nice is there's only, that only operates in some states. And I think what we might try to do and negotiate with Rob is that we could do some of our own shows. Because, yeah. like, for instance, I don't think it would be going to New York, so we could do a show there. I don't think it would be going to... Uh, it doesn't do much on the East Coast for a start. There might not be anything on the East Coast, yeah. So we might be able to combine the two. We might be able to do some Lost 80s shows and some of our own, which would be absolutely, Good. that would be perfect. If we could yeah, do that, yeah, that would be perfect. Yeah. Because yeah. they're both their merits. And, and the, other great, also, the other great thing about the Lost 80s and the thing I loved most of all was the majority of the gigs were outside mm-hmm. in the sunshine. And it was yeah. just... Every, every outside show it was really sunny and really nice and it was it, it was just a really positive fun experience yeah good for you you deserve that um you mentioned the you mentioned playing with from the jam they're yeah. who discovered you right bruce foxton my understanding originally is who sort of discovered the vapors and got you guys signed definitely yeah without bruce not i wouldn't be talking to you now without, wow. without bruce he just walked into a he walked into a bar. We were a, a bar band from Guildford. And uh but we played our own songs, we didn't play covers. Uh-huh. But he, he saw us in his local bar and came up afterwards and said, Oh, I really like that. And then he came to see us again. And I said, actually, I think the first time he saw us, I don't think I was, I think it might have just been before I just before I joined. Yeah. Um and then he came back and saw us again and chatted to us afterwards. And then he said, look, I might be able to get you on a couple of shows with the jam. Uh, and then he phoned us up and said, look, I can give you, get you one. In the, I think one was Portsmouth, definitely. And I think one maybe was Bristol. The first one was definitely Portsmouth. Then we went and played that, which was really nerve wracking because we just played tiny pubs. Yeah, and all of a sudden, yeah. we're, all of a sudden, we're on a big stage in a big room, and like Ed and Howard were 18, 18 years old, and I think I was twenty-one. Wow! And Dave was a little bit older, but you know, the three of us were actually 
it's quite intimidating playing this big room full of jam fans. But but we went down really well. We got an encore. I remember that, which was pretty mind blowing. And that got John Weller interested. And then John Weller came to see Paul's us. Paul's dad, we should say. Paul's Paul dad, yeah. John, yeah Paul's, yep. God rest his soul. Johnny passed a few years ago. Um, he came to see us in Guildford and, and he just went, yeah, I really like this. I really think I can help you guys out. Do you want us, me and Bruce, to be your managers? And we obviously, you know, we'd been really impressed with everything they'd done up to that point. Yeah. Yeah. Just said, yeah, I mean, we had a record, we had a record, they'd been talking to record companies already and that looked really positive. So, we, yeah, so we, so we went with John and Bruce and then, from that, we got the Jam Setting Suns tour in the UK, which is, um, which incidentally on the on the uh, on the box set, there's a live the live show is from the Jam tour. Really, in 1979 when we were we were callow youths. Wow, we were, all, we're all much younger than we are now. Yeah, it's it's very very early. Wow. Um, yes. So that's one of the things uh, we. I was going to bring up is that you have a four disc box set coming out on cherry red records. I think it's August 13th and it's uh, a four. Yes. That, yeah, okay. Four discs. Two yeah. of the discs are the first two albums. And then the huh. other two discs are B sides. It sounds like a live show. One thing I was curious about, first of all, I mean, we've just been talking about how incredible it is this second wave or the second chapter in the vapors history to have a nice big beautiful box set coming out on <laughs> you guys that i mean that's another kind of cherry on this cake you know what i mean yeah um, yeah it's it is amazing yeah i was quite nothing's really happened on that front for so long it was a bit yeah. of like a bolt the blue are, are uh, the, the people that own the rights to the songs just contact us and said oh cherry red want to do a four cd box set what do you think it's like yeah sure. why not because actually i mean i feel a bit sorry for people that are really into it and like to have the cd because the cds have been ridiculous prices on the internet on ebay yeah. and things like that you can pay like really silly money for nuclear days especially the captain mod reissues because they're remastered i think i think so people have paid like 70 80 quid for a cd yeah. easy yeah and now you can have everything for 25 quid it is i think it's a really um so I was really surprised how reasonably it was priced. Yeah, no kidding. And it's great because you're right. Those first two albums, especially I'm a CD collector till, still too. And anytime I go looking for them, there's still way too much money. So I, I don't own <laughs> yeah. them. I wish I did. And are any of the songs that are considered B-sides or extras on in this box, are they songs that would have made up a third album had there been one? John, John I've got some bombshell news for you. There is a third album. And it's already been released. Yes, I'm sorry. Together, because that album was great. I should rephrase that. I meant of the core period. If there'd been a third album back then. Yes, that's what I meant. I'm sorry. I don't mean to miss Together, because that album was great. <laughs> Girl from the Factory is my one of my favorite Vapor songs, and that's on that. Oh, cool, yeah. man. Cool. Yeah. She seemed all right 
When I saw her home last night, she seemed alright. With not much on her mind, she seemed alright. She said her dreams were coming true. She seemed alright. What was I supposed to do? 'Cause I don't remember much of what she told me. I've wondered if she ever gave a clue. I've gone over every word I can remember, but I never saw you doing this to you. Girl from the factory is always gonna hold me on and on and on. Girl from the factory is always gonna hold me on and on and on. She seemed alright. Girl from the factory is always gonna hold me on and on. She seemed alright. From the factories, always gonna hold me on and on and on. Now I'm sick and tired of trying to think of details. We said goodnight and then we shared a kiss. I could have stayed for longer, probably should have. But the last thing I saw happening was this. Factories always gonna hold me on and on and on. Girl from the factories always gonna hold me on and on and on. She seemed alright. Girl from the factories always gonna hold me on and on and on. She seemed alright. Girl from the factories always gonna hold me on and on and on. Well, I held her hand as we walked outside. I asked her if she wanted to walk alright. She said something that made her cry. But the beautiful night, the beautiful sky. So I walked her home. We counted stars. She said something about life on Mars. But I don't know if she meant Bowie or not. 'Cause she really loved him a lot. She seemed alright. She looked me in the eye. She seemed alright. So full of love and life. She seemed alright. I guess I should have stayed, but I don't remember much of what she told me. I know that she said she was having fun. Now something may come to me in a moment, but I really hope that moment never comes.
there's a song on there called Secret Noise that's on the yeah. box set that was, yeah, there, there were, that was possibly something we were thinking about for a third album back then. Okay. But um, most of the stuff is, is demos for the first, first album. Uh, and to be honest with you, I haven't heard what they've got. So okay. I, haven't, I haven't actually heard it yet. So I don't, I don't know what the quality is, whether they've remastered yeah. or anything. Yeah. I know the I know the Rainbow Show, the the live show because I do have I've I, I've got a cassette of that and yeah it's a good show. Okay, okay, it's, good. It's, I'm quite happy for that to go out. Good. Okay, I feel really guilty now that I shortchanged together because that's a great album. <laughs> I'm sorry, I was referring no, to a third I... album from back in the back during the yeah. day. Yeah, um, I, yeah, the miscommunication. Okay. okay, okay, good, good. Okay, so let's go back to that beginning. Um, my favorite, I think my favorite Vapors song is Trains. curious if like what were the songs that would have been played in those pubs when bruce discovered you guys were you were you playing trains were you playing yes. things that yeah, came yeah, on yeah, nuclear yeah. days nuclear days some of those songs yeah for sure um spring collection good waiting for the weekends yeah i would say news at 10 okay cold war Okay. 
Cold War. Yeah, quite quite a lot of the songs of the first album were basically okay. the live set. I mean, that, that's basically what the set is, the live set is. Okay, uh, okay. The jam support gigs in 79 is basically nuclear days. Okay. And then, I mean, turning Japanese... That's the thing. That's the Trojan horse everyone knows. But I was curious, what was, was that the first single? Was that the thing that everyone thought we're going to go big with Vapors because they have this song called Turning Japanese? Or was there a second single in mind that just didn't hit? What's the before and after of Turning Japanese? Well, I think the record company pretty quickly realized that that would be the one that would probably be a good one to do. But they they were quite a thoughtful record company and they thought well we don't want them to just come out with this like huge single and then just disappear afterwards yeah. so we'll, we'll put out something first so just to put it out there there's a band called the vapors and this is kind of what they sound like this is their first record so we we put out a song called prisoners first mm. which um, I think was on the American album, wasn't it? I'm not 100% sure. It's not on the version that's streaming on Spotify. No, I think that's probably the UK version. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. I, th- I think the American version, they, they took off Cold War. Ah, okay. Um, they took off something else, hmm. really bizarrely, and put Prisoners put prisoners on, I think. Okay. So, yeah, we did Prisoners first, uh-huh. but that didn't really do didn't do very much. Um, so then they just decided, well, we'll just go with Tony Japanese for the second one. And that, and that obviously kind of went completely nuts. Yeah. And we followed it around the world for a year. <laughs> <laughs> Having a proper party. Yeah. What came after then? Was there a follow-up single? To yeah. The, the, the single after that was News at 10. Okay. Paper and appears to be quite serious 
use of 10, which I thought was going to be, you know, huge. It's not one of my favourite songs. Yeah. And I was, yeah, this, this is a great, I thought we did a great version of it. And uh, I was just pretty sure that that was going to do just as well as 10 in Japanese. But unfortunately, it didn't. What's that like, Steve, when you, um, you know, you're this hungry band, you dream, uh, as so many do, of like being played on the radio and having a hit, and making a living as a rock star. And you have this huge hit that's still known. Everyone knows this song, you know. Do they know the Vapors? Maybe not. Do they know anything else by the Vapors? Maybe not. What's that like when you see this shooting star and then there's not much afterwards? That can't be easy. Um, I think you just go, you just go enjoy the ride. Mm. And when the ride's finished, you just get off and you just go, yeah, that was fun. Yeah. And I think that's the way to look at it. That sounds like yeah. the wisdom of a 60-something-year-old guy who's had a <laughs> lot of time to think about it. I'm wondering what the 20-something-year-old guy might have yeah, been thinking was, who would have, would have been frustrated, maybe. Yeah, yeah. It was, yeah. At the time, it was obviously very disappointing that News at 10 didn't happen. And, and we, were, we were chasing the game after that. It was, um, well, I think we did six singles altogether. And Turning Japanese was number two. And Jimmy Jones... Jimmy Jones just about scraped the charts in the UK, but nothing, nothing came anywhere near turning Japanese, and it That's kind of did get, get a bit frustrating, I suppose. I Particularly for I think Dave, got more frustrated. I'm, I'm a bit more of like, no, we're a great band. We just keep going. We just get on to the next album. Mm-hmm. I was always much more, and I think Dave just thought, what's the point? Yeah, the record, the record company aren't aren't backing us, and things aren't going that great. Um, and then he just kind of had enough, I think. Yeah, I, um, to me, there's almost no dip in quality between Nuclear Days and Magnets. I think Magnets is great too. It's slightly ambitious, more ambitious, but that's true for a lot of those new wave bands that came out with one thing and then just a little, you know, enhanced the sound a little bit more. Um, but my understanding was that the band sort of just broke up after that because they're like, well, the label's not going to get behind us anymore. Was it that simple or were there, was there infighting, anything else? No, no, it was, no, really it was, uh, Magnus didn't go down too brilliantly. Um, Jimmy Jones did okay, but then we were, we were in, we were going to do another single and we were rehearsing. And our A&R guy came down to rehearse and he said, oh, yeah, great. Uh, you're in the studio over the weekend. Said, yeah, everything's great. Can I just take a cassette with me? And then the next day he just pulled the studio time. We weren't going to be doing another single. We were going to be staying at home. And 
that was the that was the final straw for Dave. That was when he just thought, okay, this is not happening at all. So there was no second single off of Magnus? Spiders was the first signal from Magnus. But I think it was bored. I think Jimmy Jones was the last. Oh, really? Okay, I thought the it was second. the other way around. Okay. Spiders came out when the album came out. Okay. I think. Okay, I thought it was the other way around. Um, you know, it's interesting on the Vapors website. There's little bios of yeah. all you guys. Yeah. And uh, you you list off what some of your favorite albums are, and Dave mentions Television's Marky Moon as being yeah. one of his favorite albums, which is one of my favorite yeah. albums too. And I had never pieced together the influence that television must have been on the Vapors, especially when you listen to Letter to Hyro on the first album.
Letter to Hyro, there is some very much some television inspired guitar happening yeah. in that song, which I had yeah. I hadn't right. noticed before. Yeah, I think well, I think that album influenced absolutely everybody who was a musician at that yeah. time because yeah. it was just a real groundbreaking album, and, yeah. and everyone. Particularly, like I say, for musicians, very influential amongst music people, that album. Yeah, big time. And um, I got to tell you, 60 Second Interval is, you are the VIP of that song. The bass (laughs) on there... second interval i mean the bass is this is one of the things i like about talking with people for the show because so i know i'm talking to you i know steve's the bassist i'm going to re-listen to those vapors albums and i'm going to listen in for bass specific uh the bass specific sound i'm going to focus on that (laughs) and when i do it is such a gift because songs like that like 60 second interval explode all of a sudden and i because i hear what you're doing and it's amazing Oh, thank you. It's very kind. Yeah. Yeah. Um, who did you tour with back then? Were you on your own? In the States, anyway. Did you open for, I don't know who? No, we, we didn't open for anyone in the States. The first time we came, we played, like, really small clubs. Really? Small, small clubs. And then we just, the second time, it was a few more. And we were playing, I think we started off doing, like, 200 capacity places, and we probably ended up, we were doing more like 800 capacity, okay. but that that was about it. But we didn't support anyone. Mm. Okay. And I'd have been happy to support anyone. I, I quite like being in a support band. I think it's quite fun, especially if they're more popular than you, because right. you know, there's a lot of people in the room. It's great. Yeah, yeah. I wondered if you were out there on tour with the Knack or the Greg Kidman no. or Tom Petty no, or something the, like that. But the bass player of the Knack was on the Lost 80s tour last yeah, year. Yeah, Scott. He's been on here too. Yep. Yeah, he's a good man. Yeah, he is. Yeah, I talked to him a couple years ago. He's great. Yeah, Um, we'd have been. I'd have been happy to tour with anyone. I, I, I really like. I just like doing gigs. Really. Okay. And sometimes going on first can be great because you finish early and you can have fun. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Have fun. Whatever. uh, Whatever that might mean. Maybe get a little. (laughs) Do a little, get a little drinking in. Um, okay, so let's talk about together then, because it's thirty something years. 
when you guys came together to make together, came together to make together, was <laughs> it because, are you thinking we're going to, we're relaunching the Vapors, let's do it with a proper new album. What was the philosophy behind going back into the studio? Well, it was just really, um, Dave started coming in and say, said, look, I've got some new songs. Does anyone fancy trying some new stuff? And, and we were like, yeah, it's just, it's just makes it for a bit of interest, you know, do something different, try and get a bit creative, see what happens. And we just started building up a few songs and, and Dave started writing some, you know, I was thinking, yeah, Dave's writing some great songs, you know, we get some really good stuff together here. And we demoed a few of them and they come out really well. And then, in fact, it's when we played the Mercury Lounge. This, oh yeah, this is what happened. We played the Mercury Lounge and this guy came up to our manager after the, after the gig and he said, um, well, basically he said, I, went, I heard some new songs tonight that I hadn't heard before and I'd be really interested in, in hearing them recorded. I'm going to give you some money to go into the studio and record an album. And that's how we came to make it, really, wow. is because a sponsor, a guy that we've never met, I don't know who he is, but he gave us the money to, to, to basically record that album. Yeah. Uh, all hail him. No kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. And he doesn't want... He doesn't want any publicity. He doesn't want anybody to know who he is. Um, Amazing. But, but um, I'm eternally grateful to him. Yeah. Because I, I don't think we'd have... I'm not sure we would have done an album at all without that impetus that that gave us. Yeah. We yeah. certainly wouldn't have been, done, we'd been doing an album with a producer of the calibre of Steve Levine. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it was a, that, was, that, and that was how Together came about because somebody said, go on then, yeah. go and make Here's some money. Go and make an album. I'm so glad he did. So does Dave go off then and write songs by himself? Or does he get with you guys? The, the thing, we still work the same way we did back in the day, really. Dave comes in with an idea, which will be a melody and a, a chord structure. And then it's the rest of the band decide what's sort of song it is. is it a ballad is it a punk rock song is it you know doo-wop is it is it a uh, ska or reggae you know what is this song we then and then we sort of put together we put together what you listen to from dave's basic skeleton that he comes in with we flesh it out into what it becomes and everybody everybody throws their own ingredients into the pot whether that's their drum part or harmonies or or whatever it is everybody contributes in and um yeah. we're kind of like a workers cooperative these days it's great it. okay <laughs> what was the what was the response i mean are songs like crazy getting played on a radio you know well there's, a, there's, there's a radio station called uh heritage radio mm. which plays a, basically you you know what it's about but i mean they yeah. play new stuff as well Told me I was crazy from the start I said that you would only break my heart But you closed your eyes and trusted me You held my hand and believed in me 
time finding out You were never into teasing me You were into fun and to pleasing me And crazy don't seem crazy anymore I don't know what you're waiting for Won't you come inside and lock the door I don't know what you're waiting for I don't care what other people see I'm in love with you You're in love with me And crazy don't seem crazy anymore So what you're waiting for What you're waiting for I don't think I could have made it on my own But we've done really fantastically in their charts Good I mean We've had two number ones in their charts. A girl from the factory was number one, and yes. Wonderland, Wonderland got to number one as well. And we've had a number three, a number four. We've done incredibly well in the heritage charts, Good. but um, Good. the mainstream charts not so well. Uh, we ask the reviews that it got, the press reviews it, that together got. I, I've got to say, I was I was amazed at how great reviews we got. Every single every single review that I've seen has been really positive. Well, it's fantastic. I don't know what fault anyone could find in it. You know, that's a relief. Yeah, well, obviously we didn't we didn't know how it was going to go down. We had no idea, but uh, so it was very it was very gratifying to read what people thought about it. That's good. Good, you deserve that. Okay, I I'm sure you've been asked about the meaning of turning Japanese a billion times. Here's the deal. I wasn't even going to bring it up because my assumption has always been it's about masturbation and we leave it alone. It's a funny joke. But in getting ready to talk, I was doing some more research and I was seeing that it's actually, it may or may not be. And so now I feel like I have to ask about it, Steve. Is there, okay. is there a story it, here? It's a question I've never been asked before. Whatever. <laughs> Um, do you know what? The, this is this is the really strange thing for me. When we went to America the first time, when Turning Japanese had just started taking off as a record, uh-huh. people came up to us and they said, "Oh, Turning Japanese—that's that's 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 a euphemism in the UK for wanking, right?" Uh-huh. <laughs> and we looked at each other, and I went, I, "I can honestly say I had never heard that phrase." Really? in connection with that ever okay. in my life it, and it was something not none of us had ever heard that we came to america and everyone went oh yeah this is british euphemism for for masturbating and it was just like no it just isn't that's <laughs> it's never been that and then dave i'm pretty sure i've heard dave talk about it a lot and i'm pretty sure that he didn't mean it like that at all um, he's just I meant, what he did he, mean though he's well he he, I know what he meant. He said he meant that he was completely changing. He was going complete. He was metamorphosizing into something else. He was going yeah. mad. He was, and he said it could have been turning Portuguese. It could have been <laughs> anything. It could have been anything. But it was just, it was just something that scanned well. And there was also, you know, there was a lot of interest in Japanese culture at that time. And yeah. it was just kind of, it just kind of fitted at the time. Yeah. But it was it most there was that was never a phrase in the UK that I had ever ever heard before in connection with that. I, have, I say that hand on my heart ever. Okay, now we know. There's the story. So folks. I'd, say, I'd say, and the problem is, is that back in the day, Dave decided to have fun with people by doing interviews where he said it was, and then doing interviews where he said it wasn't. 
and he thought that was that was very entertaining for him uh -huh. <laughs> but, but it just just created this this uh ambiguity that yeah. they're still trying to take off <laughs> okay so now i gotta ask um we always try to cover the business side of things very sensitively on here we also have a number of patreon supporters and some of them ask specifically about um you know can you and i had the same question uh can you live off like turning japanese money forever no. i mean it's used in so many things movies commercials whatever no not really no okay you can't but, well maybe once upon a time you might have been able to but spotify has kind of really stopped a lot of income from that sort of thing because now people instead of downloading it from iTunes, we just put it on Spotify and instead of getting, you know, a big chunk of 79 cents or whatever it is, you get, you get a tenth of a cent and yeah. uh, it's not possible. The, the good thing at these days, the best thing is gigging, doing gigs. Doing gigs used to be something that you did to sub to, you'd lose money doing gigs, but you did it to promote your album mm -hmm. back in the day. And so you borrow money from your record company and they give you money to go on tour to lose money to promote the album. But now you do the album almost to promote the gigs. Yeah, and it's the music business has now been completely turned on its head, really. It has. But, yeah. but that, that was kind of okay until the gigs stopped. And then there was, like, then there was nothing. Yes. So, um, so yes. yes, please. Can we, can we go back to doing gigs, please, quickly? Uh, well, I'm glad. I mean... You guys totally deserve it. And I just hope that's one of the reasons why I wanted to name check so many songs uh, that weren't turning Japanese in this episode, because we're going to sprinkle in snippets of them. And I hope yeah. people can hear that there's more to the band than the one song they know. Hopefully they know more, but if they don't, hopefully they learn some things in this conversation. Yeah. You I mean, when, when I, when I started, when I wanted to join the band, the bass player left, the original bass player, when, you know, before anything had ever happened, I recognised that these were great songs. You know, I, I'm a big music fan and always have been all my whole life. And I could hear that trains waiting for the weekend. It's like, these are great songs. These, are, yeah. these songs stand up to anything. Yeah. And, and I've, I've always been a great believer in Dave's talent as a, as a, as a writer. Does this ever feel like an uphill battle having to try and convince people to listen beyond Japanese? Yeah, for sure it does. Yeah. I mean, it's been both a millstone and a, and a, and a Trojan horse. Like you yeah. say, it's got us, yeah. it's got us into a lot of places, into a lot of things. Yeah. But um, we're always trying to talk. I mean, that was why it's great. I know it's only the heritage chart, but it was great to get a couple of number ones in that chart. Totally. And just, okay. It's not just turning Japanese. We've had yeah. these kinds. Yep. Well, and hopefully this box set, like you mentioned, I mean, one of the beauties, to be completely honest, of the box set is that it's reasonably priced because then the, it's the, it's, the cost it? <laughs> isn't a deterrent for people to learn more about, you know, the vapors where they might not have if it was like some elaborate hundred dollar thing. This is an yeah, easy for sure. way to get in. Yeah, I, th I think it's um, I think it's very fairly priced, very good yeah. value. And if you yeah. pre-order it, you get a free signed postcard, personally signed. There you go. There you go. I haven't delivered them yet, but I think we've got like we've got like a lot of postcards to sign. Good. Good. 
Well, uh, Steve, thanks for talking with me. I love your band and uh, I love so much more than just turning Japanese. And I wanted the opportunity to chat with you about that and uh, hopefully turn some of my listeners on to other things as well. And you did it. Thanks for chatting with me. It means a lot. Hey, you're welcome, John. It's been nice, man. Take it yeah, easy. You too. We'll Have do. a good one, we'll. sir. And you. Thank you, John. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye-bye. All right, there you have it, Steve Smith. Now, okay, we get to hear from Tony Marcico of the Cruzados. I think people know I love this band. Uh, they came around. They also only managed two albums in the 80s, mid-80s, late 80s. Uh, this was one of their hits off the second album, uh, After Dark. This is Small Town Love. They never had that one hit, but they were so good. Part of that, like, Heartland, Farm Aid-type rock, Mellencamp. You know, Springsteen, Bruce Hornsby, you name it. That's what they were doing. So they put out the two albums and then they're done for decades. And um, Tito Lariva, the lead singer, who's been on the show before, actually. He was here about five years ago. He's been doing his own thing, Tito and Tarantula, for years. Well, Tony went off after the end of the Cruzados and he starts playing as a side guy with people like Matthew Sweet, Neil Young... There's a really interesting story about playing with Bob Dylan in here and uh, others. So we get a feel for what he's doing. Now they, he, during lockdown, got some of his friends together, put back on the Cruzado's name and put out a brand new album called She's Automatic that comes out this weekend as well. That's why these episodes are in, you know, two at one time. So Tony talks about what goes into the new album, She's Automatic, what he's been doing, what he worked on. He is a fun guy. And I don't know what the deal was. My microphone was not on. I thought it was. So you hear me still, obviously, but you don't hear me through the microphone quite as clearly as I would have liked. I'm sorry about that. That unfortunately happened a couple of times recently, but I think it's fixed now. Anyway, he's a great guy. He called me from his home in L.A. Because, yeah. boy, if there was ever a band that I never thought I would hear from ever again, it's the Cruzados. And yeah, well. <laughs> obviously it's pretty much just you. And I want to hear all about how that even came to be. But tell us the story of how this new album even came around. Well, I'll tell you. You know, if it, if it wasn't for the pandemic, this album probably wouldn't be around. But, man, I, like, like you and everyone else, I was trapped inside the house for a year. Mm-hmm. And uh, my girlfriend came home with a boom box one day just to break the monotony. And I hadn't played anything on one of those in years. I had a Crusado cassette around that I hadn't played in years. I didn't even know if it would play. I popped it in and I started listening to it. And I got a little homesick for a couple of the songs. And I was like, well, this is cool. It'd be fun to try some of these songs out. So I, 
I went on and started singing some of these songs and playing around on Facebook Live. And uh, it kind of gave me the bug, like to play my old, some of my old songs again, which I haven't played in 30 years. <laughs> right. Yeah. And uh, so uh, that, that was what got me going to put this whole thing together. Just now, get that songs. Were these songs that you were listening to, are they Cruzado songs that were on those first two albums? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Demos well, I had one and things that you worked on that never came out. No, it was a, it was a, it was a, a the first Cruzado's record I had on, okay. on a cassette tape. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I had all my LA friends bands, you know, uh, all, all on cassette. You know, I used to, mm-hmm. used to save the cassette. So I started, I got a little homesick, you know, I started playing the stuff and I was like, man, it would be fun to play these songs again. So I got the bug and, you know, I was just trapped inside, like I said, and with nothing to do here. And so I got, my wheels got spinning, you know? So I, I said, man, it'd be cool to put Crusados together. And I, I knew Tito, our singer lived in Austin. He travels Europe a lot. I knew that was going to be hard to pull together, which, it, which it was, it was hard to pull anybody together. Uh, but uh, somehow it all worked out. I got a killer band and, uh, and actually, you know, old pals and all. So I'm, I'm really excited about, excited about it. You know, it's cool. So I, I, how involved was Tito? Because I got to tell you, I had Tito on here yeah. probably five years ago. Right. And we had a long conversation about the plugs, Cruzados, Tarantula, all of it. Right. Is, is Tito involved in she, the no. She's Automatic album at all? No, he's not. No, no. He's, he's living in Austin these days. That's what I thought. Okay. Yeah, I'm in L.A. And. The last time actually Tito and me worked together, believe it or not, was uh, in, on his first album, Tito mm-hmm. and Tarantula. We wrote stuff together and recorded together. And that was, what, 30 years ago. Weren't you, uh, was it After Dark that was on the From Dust Till Dawn soundtrack? Well, <laughs> the thing with After Dark, yeah, After Dark was on it, but we originally, the, the we started playing that song after dark in 1983 with the plugs. You really? Yeah. We played that song. It's crazy, man. And people all know that song from, from dust till dawn. And uh-huh. I don't even know what year that came out. Dust till dawn. That was like what? 94 or something like 94. that. 94. Well, well, we played that song in, in, in 80, 82 or 80, 83. Okay. The no first way. time I remember playing after dark, we went to New York, the, the Crusados and we were playing CBGBs and we kicked around there for a bunch. We were living in a Bowery down there, and, and uh, we we went and we played that song uh, on this uh, remote live broadcast of France in the studio for the first time, and that was in '83. The other guest on the show, believe it or not, was Madonna that night. Oh, she was sitting there by herself in a folding chair in the lobby, nobody with her. She was yet to break really big, and that's the first time I remember playing After Dark on the air, and we, and that became when Crusados came about. That was one of our most popular songs in our set. For some reason, we never recorded it for the first Crusado album. The second album came. I don't know what the hell we were thinking. We didn't record it for that. And yet we named our second album after dark, but we never. Exactly. <laughs> it's like weird. And then and then Tito comes up with after dark for uh, for the movie. And, it, uh-huh. you know, it's just strange how songs come and, you know, they're around a long time. Some of them and they they resurface yeah. it's weird how it happens you know with yeah movies so are you there. playing on the version that gets played i can't remember if you're in that scene in the movie no no i that's was what, okay, uh, that's what I thought. yeah i was torn i was torn at the time i could not get out of a tour mm-hmm. to, 
you know, as much as I wanted to be involved in that at the time, but I was locked in. And uh, no, that was a guitar player, Peter Otanisoff, who we used to play with. And that was uh, Johnny Vatos from Oingo Boingo on drums in yep. the scene. I've had him on here too. Love yeah. Him. So they're all old pals, but uh, no, I'm not on that version. I'm on the original version, which is, okay. you know, you get to hear that original. It's on YouTube and sure. it's out there, but it's not that version. Our version, uh, original version was a lot peppier and faster, but I That's like amazing. both versions. I love okay. Tito's version. Too. Me too. Yeah. So did you have to get clearance from Tito to resurrect the Cruzados? Well, it's funny. I don't know. You know, me and Tito and actually, and Chalo and Huffstetter, all, all the guys, we started Cruzados together. We were never like one of those bands like, this is my band. This is the name of the band. So no, we never had to do anything like that we just started this as you know we were the plugs and then we picked a name and we went with cruzados and so it was that kind of thing it's not like you know legal stuff and all that we were never that kind of band anyway back in the day yeah Yeah. so the band that plays with you on this is little caesar correct pretty pretty much it's a couple of the guys from little caesar and the band little caesar they were best friends with chalo our our late drummer sadly you know charlie passed a couple years ago my he was like my bro forever and you know uh but these uh, little caesar were charlie's best friends back in uh the early 80s you know we all hung out and uh so it was it was when i when i thought of the little caesar guys and found out they would all really be into it in game and i was like so excited because you know it's cool to draw from your your old pals and stuff you know if you can when you're trying to put something together like this and Right. And then musically, I knew their roots. I know where they come from. I mean, Little Caesar is a little more hard rock probably than what mm-hmm. we do. But I knew Ron, the vocalist, I know he loves blues. And I know that they 
you know, they could really pull off what I wanted to do on this record. Yeah. Yeah. So it was Wait, a natural so choice. Yeah. It makes total sense when you, yeah. so did you guys, I don't know, did you write these songs just like in a fit of creativity over the last <laughs> year or did Caesar help you or I, what? I wrote 50% of the album during the pandemic. The other 50, I had a couple songs written. I had a couple song titles that spinning around in my head. Mm -hmm. So, but I wrote half of the album during the pandemic and the other were songs that I had kicked around with here and there. Okay. And uh, I pretty much brought them into the band, but they, you know, the demos I brought in were like me humming into a, you know, a boom box kind of thing. Right. So okay. they really brought them to life. I mean, like in every which way, you know. Are there singles off of this album? What, what, what's the plan? What's going to go to radio? Well, uh, uh, the first single is, uh, is the title track called She's Automatic. Okay. video for that which is coming out uh i think right. around august 1st to right. to go with the single and then uh and then we'll we'll play it by ear we actually shot another one too uh but i didn't want to mention that one yet because we're not okay. yeah okay. but uh yeah so uh yeah so she's automatic is the title track yeah and it's yep yep great killer uh my favorite song on the album is the first one actually on the tilt world oh cool and, uh, yeah, cool. I love that one. Meet me down by the big top Onto the flashing 
And yeah. it's so great to hear, I mean, I hope it's okay to say this, Tony, to hear yeah. older guys yeah, uh, yeah. legitimately like this. No one sounds like an older guy. You know I mean? No one sounds like a legacy artist. Well, we're like older guys. guys they know exactly yeah. what they're doing. Yeah. Well, you know, we're we're at that age, man. I'm not embarrassed uh -huh. to say, but you know, I'm 63 years old, man, and and these you. guys are. I'm I'm the old dude in the band, pretty much. Uh -huh. So you know, we got a lot of years on the road, and we've been playing music for a long time. I've been playing since I was like this is all I've done since I'm like you know. 17 so mm -hmm. we got a lot of years and everybody sounds like they kind of know what they're doing there man you know they're rocking it hard and yeah. that was my my goal to, to pull this off and make it sound you know really rocking and like mm -hmm. i want it to be like a tribute to to marshall rona who was in the crusados mm -hmm. and to charlie and like neither of them are here any longer yep. and i wanted that this to be the tribute album for my buddies and 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 do yeah. it justice not just go through the motions to put out a record. It wasn't about that. This is, yeah. you know, it's a labor of love doing what you like to do. And this is what this album is about. When you describe the inspiration for the album, saying that, you know, you went back and listened to old uh, Cruzado's albums yeah. and music, yep. and it, it kind of re-sparked wanting to, wanting to get back into it. it totally. That to me implies that you're, you are going to be able to play some shows, Tony, some Cruzado yeah. <laughs> shows and incorporate the new music in with the old stuff is that the plan it's a, yeah that's the plan it's exciting i mean we had our first show about uh less than two weeks ago it was really fun and we nice. we put a couple sprinkled a couple old songs in with the new and and made a set man and it was that's great it was really, really fun man it was a great time that is great now you have some people who some great uh musicians helping you on this album where does david hildalgo fit in I'm a big Los Lobos fan. Those yeah. guys are amazing. He is an amazing, amazing guitar player. Oh. Where, what does he play on and how did it happen? He plays, uh, David uh, from Lobos plays, he plays accordion on a track. Oh, accordion. Okay. Yeah. And uh, which one? Well, which track? He plays on. Uh, <laughs> I've listened to the album like five Let times. Me down. So I don't have it memorized. Yeah. It's, uh, I had to think too. It's uh, plays on a track called Let Me Down. And, uh, you know, we go way back. I mean, Tito right. goes back with Lobos from uh, back in the, the plugs are, you know, the old days mm -hmm. where Tito pulled in Lobos to open the show for the plugs who were opening for uh, for uh, public image, you know, mm -hmm. uh, for pill, you know, back in the day. And, you know, sadly, uh, Lobos was not well received and they were spit at and thrown stuff you know people weren't ready for what lobos was doing the plugs were still punk so they could pull it off but but we've always been friends with los lobos since the beginning in fact steve berlin who plays in los lobos sax he plays on our new record as well and he's yeah. 
Steve played in a version of The Plugs with me in 1982. For about a year, we played together. Mm. So, you know, we go way back with Lobos. You know, they're, yeah. they're pals, you know. So we, I tried to draw in my buddies on this record and make it like, you know, yeah. old school pals coming in. That's great. Are you going to be able to play shows like outside of L.A.? Or California? I mean, are you going to... I think so. I think we can, we, we can dash out and do a few here and there for sure. I'm not Good. sure how extensive we'll be doing <clears throat> touring. Uh -huh. I mean, we actually have a month uh, being set up now for Europe. So I know we're, we're going to do Europe. Uh, but but as far as the States, we're we'll, uh, going to play it by year. We'll probably dash out and do Good. a weekend here, weekend there. Okay. I live in Denver. And if I thought that I would ever be able to like buy a Cruzados concert t-shirt that would blow my mind. So I hope you're able to make it out here or that I'm able to make it somewhere to see you. Well, it's, it's funny, but we'll get, I'll tell you what, we'll get you a t-shirt. The t-shirt's a Ooh, funny thing. Nice. <laughs> nice. In Just, fact, I was, I was going to tell you my, my Cruzados yeah. story. So I, I remember, obviously, I mean, I've seen Roadhouse like a hundred times. It's one of my yeah. It, well, it's hard not to see it. They run it constantly. It's crazy. <laughs> Even if you don't want to see it, you kind of right. got to see it out of one eye <laughs> when you're sitting there. Just about every Friday or Saturday night, it's on some cable channel. Right? You know? I know. It's funny. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I knew who the Cruzados were, but it, I just today on Facebook, my, my memory, you know how you get those daily memories? Sure. I think it was 12 years ago, I was in the Bay Area, and Tears for Fears were in concert. And I, I was in the Bay Area visiting or on a business trip or something like that. And yeah. I thought, I'm going to go to this Tears for Fears concert. And I drove down, I think, to the city winery. And yeah. I couldn't get in. Yeah. And so I posted on Facebook, uh, I, I couldn't get into the Tears for Fears concert. I'm going to go to Rasputin or Amoeba and see if I can find some Cruzados CDs. <laughs> and that was 12 years ago today. Isn't that wild? <laughs> well, that's that's pretty funny. I got it. Is. It was it was a it was a thing I discovered later. It, it was probably like the 20th or 30th time I saw Roadhouse, and I thought, I've always liked Cruzados. Why have I never paid more attention to wow. everything they've done? And well. the first album is impossible to find, as you know, yeah. at least on CD. I collect CDs still. Um, yeah, the yeah. second one I eventually found like in a used shop or something, but um, yeah, I loved you guys. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, we'll hook you up with a t shirt. Don't worry, man. <laughs> oh, nice. I love that. Okay, speaking of the old stuff, I want to I want to ask you about a couple of my favorite songs and see if Absolutely. you remember yeah. the stories. So, on the first album, my favorite song is Just Like Roses. One day. People change their minds So if you must give up Don't cry when you fall Don't you know yet Lovers' words are worthless It's so hopeless They fade just like To know what's real 
I love that song. And I wondered if you remembered any stories about the writing or recording of that song. Well, Steve, Stephen Hofstetter, a guitar player who joined us in 80, 83, brought that into the band. Okay. And he, Tito worked on a lot of the, the lyrics for that one. But Stephen brought the bulk of that song in. And we had originally recorded that song for EMI Records. Uh I, probably around 82 as but the it, plugs or as uh, as just when crusados was just about oh, to wow. change their name we okay. signed a thing with emi at the time they signed like uh the chili peppers and like one other band mm-hmm. it was like a subsidiary of emi long story short we did record that song for for that version and that then we that whole album never came out for emi so we wound up recutting just like roses for the arista records but the original is even uh if you could find the original i don't know where it is but it's out there it's floating around but i I think i like the original version even better than than the arista version really yeah it's it was very cool you know and it was like okay yeah so that was one of our main songs in our set that we used to do back in the day early on oh man i love that so here's a plea to anyone listening who's a diehard cruzados fan if you have a link or a file of that original version, send it to me because I want to hear it. Uh, yeah, I know the EMI record was floating around out there for a while. People were okay. trading stuff it. like that. Yeah. And then secondly, what is probably my very favorite uh, Cruzado song is Time for Waiting. And oh, wow. The reason, wow. Yeah, the reason for that is that E.G. Daly's backup singing on that. I've had uh, her on the show. Yeah. We talked about it. Is oh. just one of the most gorgeous, beautiful things ever. Without it, it's a very nice uh, right. ballad. With her vocal oh, stylings man. on there, it's one of the most touching things I've ever heard.
Stadium. Well, we we loved having E.G. on it. Are you kidding? I mean, E.G. was yeah. at the time was going out with Marshall, our guitar player. That's what I thought. And yeah. so it's it's very heavy. That song, you know, it has a lot of, a lot of extra meaning knowing about their relationship and all we were going through at the time. Uh, and uh, that's cool to hear that you that you like that one. Not many people oh. mention that one because it's a slow song. You know, it's a ballad. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Every time she sings, "Don't be afraid." Yeah. Just thinking about it right now, all the hairs on the back of my neck. Yeah. Well, it's just. Yeah, the, the words mean a lot to us, honestly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was. It, they, yeah. it was a turbulent time, actually. That's all I'll say, but yeah. Okay. Okay. I have some more questions about that. Yeah. That I might get into here in a minute. I I did have a question. So, um, Seven Summers is on the Nothing in Common soundtrack. Wow. And- you, you, you did some research. <laughs> oh, I, I, I've had the, the Nothing in Common soundtrack since it came out. So I've yeah. always known that song. With and the great Jackie Gleason and Tom Jackie. <laughs> yes. Right? Yes. Yes. I know. Seven Summers, great song, great soundtrack. And I was curious if I've always thought, how did Cruzados even get on there? And then I thought, I'm wondering if the connection is that album came out on Arista. Yeah. You guys were signed by Clive Davis. This is probably his way of like, let me get one of my new bands on there. Yeah, exactly. It was an Arista connection. Yeah. Because yeah. you said, I think we're on there with like Carly Simon and yep. I can't remember who's on on that record, but it's the real mix. Thompson Twins. Thompson Twins, right. Cross. Christopher Cross. <laughs> right. Yep. I mean, I don't know where Cusados fit in, but. <laughs> I don't know either. <laughs> you know, I, I actually, I still don't know where Cusados fit in, but uh, somehow we do now and then. So it's all yeah. good. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> That's I funny. wondered if that was the connection there. So yeah. let's talk about Roadhouse for a minute, because yeah. um when I had Tito on here, he I asked him about it too. And Don't Throw Stones never came out. I mean, not officially. It's on your Live at the Roxy album. Right. Anyway, this next song's not on our albums, either the first one or the second one. And, uh, but we like it anyway. We're going to play it anyway. It's called Don't Throw Stones, and we hope you like it. Uh, 
couple of questions about this how did you get selected to be on the movie and yeah. do you make like a royal you know mailbox money every time it shows up because you're yeah we do i mean we we get we got paid as actors on it even though it's, if you call that acting just being <laughs> yourself in a band i've 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 done that acting route many times in movies where i'm just a bass player so it's like no big stretch for me just to uh -huh. stand there and play bass but right. but i like it i like doing it. i always did yeah. Yeah. it's fun and uh that you know, that came about, it was just an Arista connection, I believe. I really don't know how that one came about. All I okay. know that the director called us into his office. I'll never forget going there. Uh -huh. And he was sitting there with his feet up at the desk, smoking a cigar, just like you would imagine a big Hollywood agent, right? Yeah. And he said, and I won't say it on the podcast, but he says, gentlemen, I'm going to tell you what this movie's about. It is about blank and guns. And I'll... You know, basically boobs and guns is what he yeah, said, but of course. In, I get it. in different words. And he says, are you in or out? Mm -hmm. And we're like, I, I guess we're in. Count us in. <laughs> you know, and that's how it came it's about. Crazy. It was real, real simple. We, but it was a real like crazy, typical Hollywood weird meeting that you would go to. Mm -hmm. And uh, and we shot it. We shot the whole thing in two days right here in Orange County at a club called The Bandstand. Uh, Patrick Swayze was there and he was playing guitar with us on all the breaks. And he was. He was cool, dude. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know, come, we were. I'm, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. You go ahead. Well, we were we were good pals with uh, Jeff Healy too, who wound mm -hmm. up covering one of our Crusado songs uh, yeah. later, and on on his uh, couple of his albums, it appeared. Yep. Yep. And uh, he was well, he was just great. I love that guy. You know, it was a yeah. shame what happened to Jeff, but he was he was an awesome guy, and he's so great in the movie. You know, he really yeah. made it. Yes. If I forget about my past, forget about my guilt, I go back to the house of love, the love, the love, the love, the love, Why was there no third Cruzados album that would have included Don't Throw Stones? And when I say that, I've heard that the reason was cocaine, basically. Too well, you drugs. know what? To be honest with you, that's 100% right. <laughs> I believe it, yeah. You know, uh, and that's, I, I, you know, I had mentioned this, you know, when people were asking me why I'm doing this record again. And it kind of goes back. It ties into this whole cocaine thing and the drug thing. And it's because I, I kind of feel like Crusado's got a little short change just because of our own problems. You know, we, we did it to ourselves, but there was a lot of cocaine and drug problems in the band that tore us apart. In fact, two of our band members are, are gone, you know, right. from Crusado. So that's, I, I don't know. Did drugs have anything to do with either of those deaths? Uh, yeah definitely yeah okay yeah okay. oh yeah there were pro there, there were problems 
for years. And uh, that was kind of the demise of Crusados. And that's why the third album never came out, you know. And in my hope, when I did this record, maybe it's my own little fantasy world or what, but I was trying to rewrite history a little here and not go out on such a bad note where drugs just ruin the band. You've heard the story a million times before. The guys die. That's it. It's over. So maybe in my own little world, I kind of want to rewrite it and go out on a higher note, pay tribute to those guys that we lost due to the, due to the damn, you know, yeah. all the problems that we've had. Absolutely. So, but that is why um, our third album never came out. Yeah. Now was the third album recorded and shelved or did you guys never even get around to working on it? We recorded. Yeah. We recorded probably half of the album. Okay. And I don't know, I think Don't Throw Stones, if I'm not mistaken, was just written specifically maybe for the Roadhouse movie. Really? I don't think there was any intention of being on okay. on our third album. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What a shame that it didn't end up on the Roadhouse soundtrack. Yeah, it would have been great. I mean, it's a killer soundtrack. Totally. Yeah, totally. I would have liked to have been involved in that, but, uh, you know. Yeah. And it kicks by that off time, the whole movie. It's so yeah. obvious. Yeah, by but by that time we were kind of on the outs with Arista Records, doing, you know, because of our whole world was kind of crashing around us, and uh, yeah. so that's why we never made it onto that soundtrack, you know. Yeah. Okay. Well. But at least we're in the movie. <laughs> I get a yeah. few laughs every time it comes on. So. True. Good. Okay. Um, yeah. Now, one more movie. Obviously, we have to talk about oh, yeah. Evil Man because yeah. that's when the plugs factor in, and. Again, I'm sure I talked about this with Tito five years ago, but I don't remember every bit of it. How did you guys get selected to be on the soundtrack for Repo Man? Well, uh, Al, Al, I believe it was Alex. He, the director was a, a fan of Crusados. He was a, I think mm. he was a fan of Plugs, actually. Okay. No, he was a fan of Plugs. He used to come to all our shows and party and get wasted with us and hang out, you know, and then when he got around to writing Repo Man, he asked us if we wanted to score score it, you know, not just put a song in it. We're like, well, we never scored a movie before. That's, yeah, but let's do it, man. And that's, it was kind of like, you know, learn while you earn. We just kind of yeah. went in, cut the soundtrack to big, big monitors and played along to it. Did all the chase scenes and, you know, all the flying scenes at the end of Repo Man. And then, then we had a couple songs in it as well, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What? Great soundtrack. Uh, I mean, yeah. like for you i mean you're a you're an la band so you're while you're making music you're very much aware of you know show business movie business yeah. that's what that's the lifeblood 
of the city you live in. No, you're well, right. It's actually starting to happen and you're getting songs placed in movies and stuff like right. that. How does that feel for a guy, you know, who's just trying to, who's a punk from SoCal? Yeah. Well, it felt really good because all the people that was were involved with, like Repo Man, you know, Iggy Pop, Fear, uh, Circle Jerks, they were all friends of ours. So it was kind of not just like, hey, this is cool. The plugs were, like, we're taking off, we're getting, it was kind of like, it spoke for all of LA and our, all our pals were all like, yeah, man, maybe we got something here. This is like yeah. the whole gang's going here. We're doing the whole soundtrack to this new movie and this new movie is cool, you know? So yeah. it was good being lumped in with all those bands, you know, because we had done shows with all these bands at one time or another. And it was like our scene kind of, you know, <clears throat> it was a nod like we we might be onto something here. <clears throat> yeah, I agree. I've always been curious what what motivated the change in style from the plugs to the cruzados? Because I always loved you guys in, and for good reason, as kind of like Farm Aid rock or Heartland rock, you know, that that sort of yeah. Mellencamp, Springsteen, Hornsby, right. Nelson, that kind of stuff that was really big and great at the time. But you guys have started as punks. What motivated the switch <laughs> to the guys that are singing Small Town Love? You know? Yeah, well, it's a, that's a tough question. You know, time, time. you know, we just kind of, we played that scene out in L.A. after mm -hmm. a while. That's why mm -hmm. we moved to New York for a while, to try and mm -hmm. just get, get out of L.A. and expand a little and write new songs, you know, and that kind of thing. And uh, I don't know, we just kind of, we just developed with the name change. Things just, you know, was no, we never sat down and said, okay, we're going to be, Americana, we're going to be this. It was just like, let's write songs and see what happens. But we felt almost limited, you know, after the plugs kind of peaked. Sure. With, yeah. To go back and do that same sound again, that really revved yeah. up, aggressive. I mean, it was like, that's not who we were. We were changing. Yeah. So we were just trying to be true to ourselves and okay. write, write different things, you know. I mean, a lot of bands felt that. As fantastic and great as punk is, it's ultimately kind of a dead end. Because yeah, there's only well, so far you can take it. And before you yeah, gotta, if you're gonna get better at your craft and better at your instrument, writing songs. Well, that's you the thing. Go when further, we started playing, you know? yeah, we, we we got better on our instruments. Yeah. And you know, when you hang out with people like we did in the plugs for years together, me, Charlie, Chalo, you know, and Tito, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, you start realizing, hey, we got a lot of other interests and roots here, you know. Mm -hmm. Chalo and you know and uh, Tito from from uh, El Paso you know they got a lot of music roots and they didn't necessarily you know they listen to ZZ Top too you know just because we were <laughs> punks you know what I mean yeah. so we just started putting all of what we really listened to into our music but it was never we never sat down and said this is what we're going to do songs okay. just kind of came and some songs didn't make it some did and some okay. some I have regrets on you know if I could really? do them over again I'd delete them off the album but I really? guess every band has that. Yeah, I could easily huh. delete a few songs, you know? Oh, I don't but, know. Uh, well, I mean, I can understand you feeling that way, but those first two Cruzados albums are just perfect the way they are. Oh, thanks. I appreciate it. Sure, yeah. So I, let's go beyond this because we have some Patreon supporters, and I, threw, yeah. I always throw it out there to them who I'm interviewing and allow them to participate if they want. And one of them, sure. Batford, in fact, a couple of people asked this question. Yeah, uh, they want to know the full story of backing Bob Dylan, specifically on David Letterman. I okay. rewatched that clip 
And first of all, what, how did, why did Bob select, I don't even know if you were technically the Cruzados when he selected you or just some band. Right. And how did you get on Letterman? And why does that version of Joker Man sound nothing like the version that's on the album? <laughs> Which I don't like the album version, but I love your version. Thank you, folks. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, here's Bob Dylan. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, uh, Charlie, our drummer, you know, his, his girlfriend, Vanilla was working, working for a fellow who was ran running a silkscreen place where they'd make rock posters and stuff. Hmm. He got a call through the grapevine that Dylan was looking for musicians for his sweetheart like you video from the mm-hmm. infidels album. Right. So, uh, he, Charlie, our drummer went and auditioned. He got the gig. He brought in a friend of ours, Carla Olson to play guitar from the Textones, another LA band, mm-hmm. and a bassist that I wasn't familiar with. So they they did the video, but they just mimed to it, you know? So that was kind of the first connection. And then we thought it was kind of over. With, And then a while back, a while after that, we get a call from uh, the Dylan camp saying, Bob wants to jam with some guys up at his house, some young guys, you know? I don't know if he said young, but I think that's what he was looking to do, you know? We were, we were just punks, basically. We were... We were still the uh, plugs turning into Crusados at the time, right? So he started bringing Charlie up to the house, and we would just go up to his Malibu house. And, well, not we. I didn't get the gig at first. Charlie went up and brought a lot of different bass players with him at the time. And none of them got the gig, you know. They would, they'd go there for a couple hours, jam, and that was it. And then... Charlie brought me up, and I guess since we played together, we you know we locked in because we were rhythm section. And then we brought in our other buddy JJ on guitar, who had done sessions with us. And Bob liked this unit. All of a sudden, he was like, "Cool, I want to I want to do this again." So we kept doing this off and on for a year. Whenever Bob would call us, we would go up to his Malibu. He had a rehearsal house up there, and we would uh, we'd rehearse in the rehearsal house. And some days we'd go two hours. Some days we'd go eight hours overlooking the pacific so you got to realize we were we were coming from punk rock times we didn't have rehearsal studios barely we didn't have a penny you know and now we're like up at his malibu estate you know overlooking the pacific playing so if just that alone was really bizarre 
And then the other thing was we're playing with Bob Dylan, you know, it's really yeah. weird. And uh, this went on and off for about a year. And then one day Bob just came into rehearsal. He said, Hey, there's this new show, David Letterman. Did you ever hear of it? And we're like, yeah. In fact, we really liked it because it was really off feet when it started and weird. <clears throat> and uh, we're like, he says, you want to go to New York and do it? And I'm like, yeah, hell yeah. And he says, were you guys ever on TV before? <laughs> and we're like, well, no, not really. He goes, okay, well, let's go to New York. And that, you know, we were on that local TV, but never yeah. anything national, like, you know, NBC TV where you play in front of millions. And, uh -huh. and, uh, he just took us with, you know, we went to New York and played with him and recorded with that. And I oh, mean, wow. that was so long ago. And now they're, uh, well, that was how many years ago? Like 1983 or something. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Almost 40. So yeah, we were kids. The as I mentioned, the version of Joker Man you guys perform yeah. is so is nothing like the recorded version nothing. of the album. Did you no. guys did you guys rehearse that? Was were you guys working on that for that year in Malibu? Did you say, you know, wow. leading up to the show, guys, I want to do this completely <laughs> different. Let's work on some things. How did that even come about? Well, if you if you ever people that ever work with Bob know that he doesn't he kind of throws you curveballs like nonstop. Yeah, that's why I asked. I had a feeling. Yeah. Yeah, it's big, big time curveballs. Like, you know, he'll switch up a rhythm and say, let's not do that. Let's just try this. And then before you know it, you're doing a song that doesn't sound anything like the original. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't like to just duplicate what he does, you know? And uh, so we, like I said, we, it was no big plan, but we, we did jam on a ton of songs up there. A lot of them weren't his songs. They were, <clears throat> you know, some blues and stuff like that. And uh, it was it was weird. He just, we would just jam and we would, I, I in Plugs days, we would rehearse a song and it'd be over in like a minute and a half, you know? Mm -hmm. But with Dylan, we would go up there and play these songs. We could jam on a song for 30 minutes, just jam and groove and try different things. But, right. so this was something we weren't used to. And uh, Bob never really told us ever once what to do. Wow. You know, I've been in bands where they're like, you know, play this, play this chord, do that, do that. Yeah. Or, you know, because I was a backup guy for years with people. And But yeah. Bob was like the opposite. Bob like wanted us to do whatever we wanted to do. It was like free reign. Mm -hmm. So any rhythms, any attitude, any anything we wanted to play, he was game for, okay. you know. So wow. that, which was which was really freeing and amazing right. that someone like Dylan would let a couple punks just come in and just bash it out with them. We were like, you know, pretty amazed. Uh, by I, sh I should know this and I don't. Did your relationship with Bob continue on after this? I mean, I'm guessing you're playing farm aid shows together, but did you ever play well, other concerts we, or? Well, Charlie did some, yeah, Charlie, our drummer did some live shows with him on okay. one of the tours. And then another time, he he came down to the studio when we were recording our first EMI album. Hmm. And we did a song, we wrote a song called Rising Sun. And hmm. Bob came in and he played harmonica on that song. Oh. So that's also on the EMI record, which just like Roses, it never came out. But he, yeah. he's well on harmonica on that one. So, yeah, we did. Oh. We crossed paths again. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So... I realized, Tony, in getting ready to talk to you, I think I probably saw you in concert at least once. Oh, cool. I, um, I'm from Salt Lake City, and I went to college at BYU. And bless his heart, Matthew Sweet, 
was one of the few people who would come through <laughs> and play Salt Lake City. Zephyrs. Sure, yeah. Zephyr, Zephyr Club. I was at that show. <laughs> I saw you guys at the Zephyr and I saw you guys at Club Deviate. <laughs> and I don't yeah. know if you were at the Deviate show, but I know for sure you must yeah, have been at the Zephyr Club was. show because In Reverse had just come out and he yep. played Millennium Blues with the trumpet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. How did you get the gig with Matthew? Well, I got the gig in 93 uh, after Crusados, you know, and uh, well, after Crusados, I got a gig playing with John Doe from X and his solo band. Right. And Richard Lloyd was a guitar player in that. Yeah. So Richard and Richard knew Matthew Sweet. Richard's from television, mm -hmm. the band. He knew Matthew Sweet from playing on his records. And then a lap steel guy, Greg Lease, who plays with everybody in the world. Mm -hmm. One of our favorites also played with us with John Doe. Greg referred me to Matthew Sweet. Matthew was looking for someone that, you know, that could rock out or whatever, you know, and yeah. Matthew does pop stuff, but he wanted very hard edge and rocking. So Greg yeah. says, try this guy, Tony. And so we clicked and I wound up playing bass for Matthew for 12 years, you know, from yeah. that. So it was a long stretch. I, um, I love him. I love and the millennium, the in reverse album specifically. One of the best songs on there is If Time Permits. Oh, yeah. Beautiful. Bass work is highlighted gorgeously on that song. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I, yes. was, I was really glad to play on that. That was a fun yes. record to do. Yes. I liked it because it was just slightly different than what had come before. 
Still, yeah. Matthew doing his great power pop stuff, but there's a lot of Beach Boys harmony. Just the just the trumpet on Millennium Blues is different well, than anything else. Well, before. you know, we brought in we brought in the great bass player to play electric on on uh, some of that, and that was Carol Kay. Really, you know, Carol for, Kay plays on that. Isn't that? Uh, I think that's the in reverse. Yeah, um, from yeah. the uh, the Wrecking Crew. Yeah, Carol Kay we brought in, and I played I played upright bass, and we played in a booth together mm-hmm. for a couple days. Like, oh, just wow. like the Beach Boy style, you know? Yes. And uh, we played together and we tracked a lot of that stuff just like that, upright. And she played electric and she's like an electric genius. It's just, yes. she's scary good, which people That's don't great. know. She's amazing, you know? She's like this yeah. smoking granny that could smoke any bass player around. But she's one of the best ever. One of the best yeah. ever. Crazy. Um, so she just played some great stuff. and That's amazing. Yeah, that was a fun I- record. Were you playing on the Thorns album? I didn't play on the Thorns album. I, there was a break from the action. I'm trying to remember what I did during that, but I played on, well, I recut some stuff with that. Okay. With Brendan O'Brien, we recut yeah. a song or two, but I'm not on that album, but I did the whole tour. Okay. We did a so European you toured tour. with the yeah. Thorns? With the Thorns, oh yeah. And we toured okay. like Europe and we toured, we did a long tour with the Dixie Chicks and okay. back then. But yeah, oh. so we... We, yeah, we had a good touring band. It was really a lot of fun. That was a good. really fun project. That's one of those super groups that I wish had at least put out <clears> one more album. I agree. I I was shocked when they weren't going to put out another album. Yeah. Because uh, they were offered to put out another album, too. It's not like... Really? Yeah, um, and I don't know. They couldn't pull it together for some reason. But, man, those three guys could bad. sing great together. They sure could. Yeah, um, I really loved doing that tour. I have to ask, did you cross paths with Richard Lloyd? I had him on here about a year and a half, two years ago. And oh, okay. he, decided, he decided about 20 minutes into the interview that he didn't like me. And so he <laughs> said, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. Uh, uh, I don't like your questions. I don't like your tone. I'm uh, bored. Uh, I'd well, rather go. And so <laughs> that was it. That was the end of it. Uh, well, yeah, well, I've toured with Richard for years and, you know, I don't even know what, to, when you tell me that, it doesn't surprise me at all. You know? <laughs> Richard, that's, that's who Richard is. He's, he's like that's, that, you know? And yeah. in fact, if you read his book, he's got a book out. Oh, I read, mind, it, I read it twice to get ready. Right, to it's mind to blowing. <laughs> yes. Mind blowing. And that will explain what you just told yes. me exactly yep. to anyone that's curious. But uh, Richard is a, he's a one of a kind. That one of a kind word. guy. Right one of a kind. Yep. yep. That's it. <laughs> yeah. I give him my best. If you ever talk oh, yeah. to him, he won't yeah. remember. <laughs> uh, but anyway. Oh man. Um, okay, so John Doe, you're yep. on the Meet John Doe album, which is fantastic. That's right. Let's just Connecting all these dots makes so much sense. I'm guessing the plugs and X had to have gone. In fact, were the plugs on the first Decline of Western Civilization movie? You guys must have gone way back together. Well, we go way back. We we used to do shows together. You know, I got in the plugs like in 1980, and we were doing a lot Mm -hmm. of shows with X back in the day, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
mostly all LA, you know, mm-hmm. the whiskey, go, go, the Roxy, even the big shows. We played the Greek theater with them one summer and they were, they were really hitting it kind of big at the time back here. And LA was just booming at the time, you know, punk rock was, was hot. And we, we did a, my favorite shows were, were with X back in the day for sure, without a doubt. So mm-hmm. we had a lot of great times together, man. Yeah. With John Doe, Xene, yeah. Good, great people. I believe it. Okay, one of my listeners is named Daniel Newman. Oh, yeah, and I know Daniel. I know Daniel. Yes, you Daniel. do. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I let him know that, that I was interviewing you because I know he said, tell him hi from his biggest <laughs> fan in Canada. He'll know <laughs> who I am. How awesome. <laughs> and uh, that's, that's great. He sent me like 10 questions. Um, <laughs> most of them are things that I've been intertwining because I had similar questions too. Yeah. One of them I thought was really interesting. He alerted me to Tony the Sandwich Guy. Which <laughs> I watched this clip on YouTube of you going to the hat and having a pastrami sandwich. Yeah, and that's me. I, I watched it like hours ago and I can't stop thinking about this pastrami <laughs> sandwich. Why is there only one of these videos? That would have been yeah, cool. Because I don't even know why I did it. I'll be honest with you. I went there for lunch one day and I said, wouldn't it be fun to go back there and review this place without any intention of doing anything with uh-huh. it? But I just thought it would be fun to to kind of take on that that reviewer, that sandwich guy yeah. reviewer and do it. So it's, I know it's really out there, right? <laughs> but you, you know what? stuck with it, Tony. I would watch <laughs> hours of you doing that. <laughs> well, you got to realize my background. See, that will make more sense, you know, because okay. I, I grew up in a family restaurant my dad had for 37 years. So, mm. so I grew up around sandwiches, you know, I'm not gonna lie. I like to eat. So, so I know a good sandwich. <laughs> yes. Yes. I thought that was genius. I didn't even know it existed until Daniel <laughs> sent me these questions. Uh, uh, now, he obviously wanted to know, as did I, uh, you know, he's a good, loyal Canadian, talk yeah. about working with Neil Young. And I'm if this, I'm curious if this is yeah. another thing that came out of Farm Aid, but I don't know for sure. Well, Neil was there the year we did Farm Aid, mm-hmm. but it it didn't come about through that. I'm trying to think. Okay, it came about. I think I got the referral for Neil Young through Wadi Wachtel, session. Oh, sure. You know, session. He's been on. Yeah, session team. man. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was right around the time Wadi called me up, and we did the soundtrack. Me, Wadi, and uh, Chad from the Chili Peppers, the drummer. Mm-hmm. We did a soundtrack for a movie uh, called Session Man, believe it or not. And mm-hmm. what we were actually the session man recording mm-hmm. it and. We weren't in the movie. We just played all the music for it. So we had just got done working on that. And I I thought it was kind of a crazy idea. It wound up winning the Oscar that year for best short. So I don't know anything about movie making. But on another note, me and Wadi hit it off really well. So when Wadi heard uh, that there was a possibility that they wanted to retrack a song or two up at Neil's ranch, uh, I got the he referred me and I went up mm. and uh, I got the call from Neil to go up. I went up there. It was, uh, it, I was up there. I was up there about four days on his ranch up right below San Francisco there. Wow. And uh, we did it at his studio, you know, where he, yeah. he does all stuff up there. And it was, that was, that was a mind blowing experience, you know, and, it. you know, it. and I'm not playing the freedom I, album somewhere. What yeah, song what are the, you playing on? Well, I got to tell you, it, it it was it was a great treat to do it. It was a little disappointing because they brought me up there to play on Rockin' in the Free World, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Which became the, the big single. Yeah. 
Gross. But between you and me, when I heard Rockin' in the Free World, Rick, the bass player who had played with Neil for a while, played on that, and they wanted to re recut his part. Now, I'm thinking to myself, there's nothing wrong with Rick, the bass player's part, but when you get called in to do something, what do you do, right? You know? Right, so right. I tried to track it, but I, I couldn't top. I didn't want to top it, nor could I. It just sounded right. great. It was loosey-goosey, and it was good. So I didn't make that track, so I got on a track called, it was the second single called No More. I got on that. Yeah. Track. great experience i got to watch neil do a lot of his overdubs for those couple days it was just me neil and nico uh -huh. bolas the producer in the studio so you know uh, i wrote about you know i got a little book that came out this year and i'm not plugging it but i'm just saying i wrote no i'm glad you mentioned it because i always try to read people's books before they come on and i didn't get a chance to get to yours quick enough uh, it's so all good. I, apologize. I, I wrote i had to write about this story because as a musician, it was mind blown working with Neil. And it gave me like this whole new, like kick in the ass to really like keep going. And, and, you know, like when you think you're getting a little older and you don't rock that hard and you don't go through the motions. Cause I watched Neil do his overdubs, you know, for like a couple of days in the studio by himself, rocking, like he was a 16 year old kid bopping really? up and down volume 100, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, feedback against the amp, mm -hmm. just like, going for it and you know no he wasn't put on there there was nobody there but he was just going for it yeah. and that gave me such a shot in the arm like damn and he was a lot older than me you know he's yeah. not a lot but yeah he's older than me and i'm like damn look at him go man mm -hmm. if he if mm -hmm. neil could do it at that age man i gotta i could play for a long time so that was encouraging yeah. to me it's amazing you say that tony i have always been more of like just a marginal neil fan i like yeah so i have about half a dozen of his albums and I like them, but his yeah. voice puts me off a little bit. I got to be honest. Yeah, that's and, right. um, So, but I, I've seen him in concert a couple of times. And the first time was when he was headlining the Horde 
tour, which yeah. happened in around 2000, I think. It mm-hmm. was in Park City, Utah. And I have very low expectations for this. And you're right. He rocked. And every and he it wasn't just rocking. It was an elevation of sound that just kept getting higher and higher to the heavens. <laughs> Right. Every minute. Yeah. And you just, yeah. I just was, I felt transported. I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it right yeah, now. Yeah, that's, that's I thought, how I, I had no idea this guy yeah. could make this sound that sounds so heavy, but so divine at the same time. You yeah. know what I mean? That's exactly how I felt watching him do these tracks. And, and I when I was it. playing on him, I was like feeling it, you know, the same yes. thing. Yes. I believe yeah. it. It was a I great. Saw that and I saw one of those bridge school shows, which oh, you did, um, yeah, yeah, yeah which was... is, they were beautiful. They were oh yeah, great cause. I got to ask you about one more of your session things. Um, oh yeah, the Williams Brothers. Oh my god, yeah. You played on that album, right? Are you on Can't Cry Hard Enough? Not Can't Cry Hard Enough. I'm on uh, the song called The Big Machine. Okay, okay, uh, yeah. But that's no place love you and. It's just a big machine. We don't wanna play that game. Let's go. It's crazy, man. The Williams brothers. See, I grew up in the '60s. We used to watch the Andy Williams show. Mm-hmm. Now I'm go- I'm dating myself, but. My parents would watch it, right? As you know, mm-hmm. and on that show were these kids in these little plaid outfits, you know, mm-hmm. red plaid suits, and it was the Williams brothers, Andy and David. You know, they were just yeah. kid stars, and they were kind of like, you know, in the style of the Everly Brothers back then. Yeah. So they they kind of became seventy stars, and to this day, I'm amazed that not everybody knows who they are, because they're, it seems like their career could have went so far. They were just the best harmonizers I'd ever yeah. worked with, and they. They happen to be fans of the Crusados and they sang really? like on nice. they sang on the Crusados record. They sang Hanging Out in California, all the harmonies on that. Really? I didn't yeah. know that. That's them. Yeah. Wow. Are you Yeah, that's them. And they would get up and do live shows with us now and then. We'd bring them up and they would sing them hanging out in California. Oh, I have and no they idea. they just sang so great. Yeah. And yes. That, yeah, they it was that was really fun too, man. We'd go up to their house and uh <laughs> there was a whole different experience as well. <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> you know, they're come from a whole different background that yes. the plugs came from, man. It was sure. unbelievable. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I think I I think I know what you're driving at. You know where I'm going. It was mind blowing. Yes. yes, I believe yeah. it. Mind yeah. blowing. That's the word. But they were great. Oh my yeah. god, so yeah. talented those brothers. They have that sibling harmony that the Everly Brothers have, or the Leuven Brothers, or right. so many of these guys that can harmonize so gorgeously. 
yeah. and it's because it's all just natural. It's in the blood. You know it is. It's, it's just not, they grew up singing since the time they were yeah. little kids, those harmonies. And, you know, I was reminded of it. I had a hermit from years and I was on an airplane, right? Mm-hmm. And I put the headphones on and they have the canned music on the airlines. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I hear can't cry hard enough. I just about cried mm-hmm. when I heard it. Oh, that song is so good. Yeah, yeah that song that's is great. so damn good. Yeah, I discovered them around 94, 95. They had a song called uh, uh, Love Doesn't Ever Fail Us on hmm. a soundtrack to a movie called Grace of My Heart. And huh. um, it was gorgeous. And I mentioned that just in case that rang a bell. Like, oh, yeah, I played on that, too. Sounds I don't like know good. that one, but we, we did do a lot of live shows with them. Me and Charlie from, from Crusados, we backed yeah. them up. Yeah, yeah, we did okay. their live shows. Super um, talented. I, I mean, you've done so much. I have to ask, I mean, you know, session musicians' careers aren't what they used to be. We try to kind of touch on the business side of things very sensitively on here. Have you yeah, did you ever have to get a job outside of music? Do you do do you have a day job? Do you do something no, now? This is all I've done since I've been 17, you know. Wow, congrats. Yeah. That is great. <laughs> Well, <laughs> not you, everyone can say that, Tony. Not everyone. It's it sounds good in in theory, but you know, not all my gl- gigs have been glorious. You know, and I, you know, I've played big places. I played, you know, in Madison Square Garden. I've also played the crappiest bars you could play. You yeah. know, so yeah. you know that's what you do if you want to be a working musician your whole life. You yeah. just you go from gig to gig. I played with a lot of famous people. I played with people that. You never heard of, nor will you hear of, but you just keep going. And that's, you know, that's all I know how to do, really. Well, I make a yeah. damn good sandwich, too, but but that's another <laughs> that's another story. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, I've had a lot of a lot of session work over the years, and uh, it's been great. Even I just I love going into a situation like that. I never really thought I would be a session guy, nor did mm-hmm. I have any desire to be. I always was a band guy. And mm-hmm. I love being in a band, you know, more than anything, really. But I really had fun doing sessions for a while because you never know what situation you're going to w- walk mm-hmm. into. And you come across musicians that you idolize for years. And next thing you know, you're you're in the studio with them. And there's a lot of pressure, mm-hmm. a lot of pressure to do it, do mm-hmm. it good. But uh, it was really exciting for me. Speaking of which, where does your path cross with Roger Daltrey? I see that you played with him, but I don't know where or how. Yeah. Roger, uh, I got a call to go. It was one of those open auditions, you know, cattle calls back in the day. Mm -hmm. Like they would have them in LA and every bass player would go in and guitar player and stand. There'd be a hall of like, you know, 50 guys out there. I went in and did this cattle call and I got the gig with Daltrey and they wanted someone that could play upright bass and electric bass on this tour. So he was doing a promo tour in 1990 for an album called Rock Rocks in the Head. Rocks in the head, sure. Yeah, Gerard uh, McMahon. You're uh, right. You wrote are a lot right. Of those songs. I've had him on the show too. He, yep. He's Gerard was now. in the band, and uh, mm-hmm. and the other big connection in the band is a guy who I've done a million sessions with is Gary, Gary Malibur, the drummer. Oh Gary's yeah. From uh, Steve Miller band, and he played yeah. on all the Van Morrison records, Moon Dance, and Springsteen. Mm-hmm. He's played with everybody, but me and Gary, we were like, we did so many sessions in the in the '90s together for uh, Jerry Goffin, the songwriter, and so many people. So, And when we got the Daltrey gig, it was great because we were working together and Gerard was in the band. Ricky Bird was in the band from uh, Joan Jett's band. Right. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, that was that was great. We did a little promo tour, some TV, 
you know, back. You guys in the day, were on Letterman, weren't you? We no, we were on a um, Dennis Miller show. Oh, okay. Okay. Yep. Yeah. And it's funny because I ran into Dennis Miller. This was, you know, 1990. Mm-hmm. Someone gave me a ticket to like the Carol Burnett taping reunion like two years ago over one of the studios. So I went to the party. Who do I run in backstage? And it was, it was uh, Dennis Miller. <laughs> right. And I'm like, hey, man, you know, I was on your show like in you know, 1990. And I told him who I was on there with. And he just about fell over because it, mm. it, it, apparently the who's like his all time favorite group. And he's no so way. into me. Yeah, so he just flipped out, and we were we were hanging out, uh, talking about it, and reminiscing about That's the fun we had. And we were actually the stage that we did that Dennis Miller show on uh-huh. is where they did the reunion for the Cower Burnett show. No way. <laughs> yeah, that's why he was there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, it was CBS great. Television soundstage. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Similarly, how did you work with Marianne Faithful? So Marianne Faithful, I got through. A referral through uh, Smokey Hormel, who played with Beck, and mm. back in the day we were pals in L.A. And we, me and Smokey, did a movie together called Georgia with Jennifer Jason Lee. And yeah, uh, I remember that movie. Yeah, John C. Riley, and we were the band, yeah. and John Doe. So you we were, were the band. I don't think I knew that. I saw that oh, movie yeah. right when it came out, and my yeah. daughter is named Georgia partially after oh, that movie. No way! But I haven't seen it since. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Yeah, we were the band in the movie, and I forget your question. Where was I going with this? But I... uh, Marianne Faithful. Oh, yeah. So Smokey referred me to the Marianne Faithful gig, and we brought in from Matthew Sweet's band, we brought in my late great buddy, Pete Phillips, awesome mm-hmm. guitarist, mm-hmm. and uh, Rick Mank from Matthew's band. Mm-hmm. And uh, we went over, uh, we went for a month over to Europe, and we backed Marianne up, and that was unbelievable. What mm-hmm. an experience. Yeah. It's like working with the female... Keith Richards, you know, just like (laughs) well said, just out of control, but yet awesome. Like, yeah, just hanging out with her and her her best friend was actress Kate Moss. You know, I'm not actress, the model Kate Moss, and we lived in a 16th century farmhouse on a sheep farm in England for a month together. So it was insane. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Yeah, it was insane, beyond insane. Yeah, I have to admit, Tony, when you tell these stories, uh, I hope this isn't offensive, but I imagine drugs or at least weed. Being <laughs> everywhere. Well, everywhere. you are. Well, I you are 100% right, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I thought so. <laughs> I'm imagining, you know, uh, you with Bob Dylan in a rehearsal uh, space. You're young. You and well, I'm not, I'm not going to admit that or say that on, on the air, but I'll let you imagine that. How about that? Okay, okay. I think, right. uh, I think I'm picking up what you're laying down here. Um, yeah. Okay. I can smell it through the Zoom. Well, uh, you know. To be honest. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. What about Juliana Hatfield? I've had her Oh, yeah. Too. Juliana Hatfield. That was really cool. Uh, that was a session that started out for just some soundtrack stuff she was doing for the movie, mm-hmm. The Craft. Which yeah. Was an, yeah. We yeah. did a soundtrack for that. and Covers album. Oddly enough, before I worked with Marianne Faithful, I worked with Juliana, and we did a song that was a Marianne Faithful song called The Witch's Song, and uh, she covers that in the movie, and that's one of my favorite tracks that I cut. We did it with Abe Laboreal Jr., who's uh, Paul McCartney's drummer. Solid. Uh-huh. One of the best drummers, so. Dangerous, great joy.
I love that track, the feel of that whole track we did with her. And we cut that song. I think we might have cut two songs for that movie. And then she asked me if I wanted to go to uh, Boston for like two weeks and cut her album. We cut an album. Unfortunately, she had a big falling out with the record company like Mm -hmm. people do. And the Mm -hmm. album kind of never really came out until years later. It's called God's Foot. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) yeah. 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 Okay. Right. It's a weird one. <laughs> Got it. Well, cool. Okay. Well, I mean, I think we've covered so many fun things. I got to ask. I mean, I always worry when I talk to people like you that there's a really great story in there, but I didn't ask the right question to spark <laughs> or inspire it. Is there something you're comfortable telling us? Anything from any of these people? What's one of when you sit back there in LA and you're just like, you would never believe what happened to me? What's the tastiest memory that comes to mind? Oh, man. And uh, that's, it's hard to pinpoint, man. There's been so, yeah. you know, many, many crazy things. There's one crazy band that you didn't mention that I that I played bass for, and that was the Australian band, the Divinals. I was going <laughs> to mention them. I was afraid I was taking too much of your time. Tell us about, about the Divinals. Well, since you're talking about partying and, and insanity okay. and other things you might suspect, Yes. That was one of the, the hardest partying bands that I've ever played really? with in my life. But really? so much fun. Just like, you know, they took me all yeah. around Australia with them. At the time, they had a number one record. So it That's was myself. like, that was my first tour I ever did when, you know, we had a number one on the radio and everywhere. And so, it was great. We we had like a private jet and no. it was, it, yeah, it was ridiculous. Yeah. It was really over the top and great, you know, and, and they just tore it up like great live band. That's what I've heard. And great live band. And uh, just, they were big time partiers and they love to have fun and laugh. Wow. And we just, yeah, that was one of the craziest bands I think I've been in out of, out of every, everybody really by, that is probably so, by a mile. Okay. <laughs> That is so, so you didn't play on I Touch Myself, but when the I band went on tour afterwards, you're yeah. in their band to tour. Exactly. Yeah. I did their Australian tour. It's so interesting you say this, Tony, because I mean, as you know, in the States, all we know is Touch Myself. That's pretty much it. Yeah. But and I, that came so I've much talked, later. Yes. And I've talked to people like Mark Opitz, yeah. uh, the producer, produced some of their earlier work, and I've had him on the show. And what I learned when you start talking to Australians is that the Divinals are actually a really big deal and a much different rockier band than we think of because of Touch Myself. Totally. Everything you're saying is falling right in line with these rumors that I hear. Yeah, they started like 10 years. They were putting albums out 10 years before that, and they were a lot punkier and and heavier. Yeah, Yeah, that is a song that was written by a songwriting team who, oddly enough, kind of wrote... Well, not kindly. They wrote one of the songs on our second Crusado album that I, I kind of wish that I could erase, but it's too late for that now. But they wrote a song on the Crusados record called I, I Want Your World to Turn. Yeah. Like a magnet, your eyes were touching me. Your fire to burn just for me. Like the moon affects the turn. 
Yeah, and they also wrote I Touch Myself. They also wrote Madonna's song, Like yeah, a Virgin. This is uh, Steinberg and Kelly. You are right. You know yeah, your stuff. Eternal Flame. Yeah. I hate that yep. song. Eternal Flame. <laughs> you no know friends. your stuff, yeah. I do. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, yeah, but their stuff I, wasn't really like that single at all. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Anyway, that's, that's a little bit about them, but yeah. Good. Uh, Tony, this was so much fun. Thank you Absolutely. for talking with me about all of this. And I mean, I just got to say, as someone who, as I said, discovered the Cruzados almost 12 years ago to this very day. That's I, really um, bizarre. <laughs> isn't that bizarre? You yeah. brought a lot of happiness into my life from the well, thank you, man. world. So thank you for being I'm glad you enjoyed it, my friend. Seriously. Absolutely. I appreciate and that. Yeah. You bet. And I'm so glad we had this conversation because I, I just love you guys and I wanted to play my part in helping spread the word. You know what well, I mean? Well, we thank you for that, man. I'm excited about it. It's just I can't tell you how uh, exciting it is for me to be back doing this again. So Good. it's a big deal for me. And I appreciate it when you guys appreciate and get behind it like that. So Absolutely. thank you. Yeah. Absolutely. Proud of it. Okay, thank you, sir. Yeah, thank you. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, there you have it, Tony Marcico. I hope you guys will check out the Cruzados. Stream it, if nothing else. That first Cruzados album is so hard to find, but it's now on Spotify. It wasn't when I talked to Tito before. Uh, I want to close it out with another one of their famous songs. Well, famous relatively. This is Bed of Lies. Great, great tune. Uh, And please pick up She's Automatic and the Vapors box set. Check that stuff out. It is all quality. It is all good. Now, next week, we uh, we have kind of a big one next week. He's a session musician, British, who is now a co-host of one of the best and most popular music podcasts out there. Um, if you're savvy enough to be paying attention to what the great music podcasts are out there right now, you probably know who this guy is. That's who should be coming back here next week. Okay. Also, a huge thanks to Ken Mills. The Podfather stepped in again this weekend. Yan had some funeral things relating to family and his and his dad's death from a week or two ago. So, again, keep sending love Yan's way. He will be back. The funeral, I believe, if you're listening to this on Tuesday, was today. God bless Yurik Makevich, such a good man. But anyway, Yan will be back from now on for a while. And we should have a deep dive, very special deep dive coming out this weekend. Okay? So anyway, thanks out you all. We love you. We'll talk to you soon. Drink.